Welcome, y'all. Hey. We are here to talk about the Lord and typology. We have the lovely Joyce and Denzel. I grew up in a Christian family, and my father was actually a presiding elder at a church. So he's the pastor's right-hand man. But um, we went to church five days a week, and we had Bible studies every evening at home. My parents are from Ghana, West Africa, so in the Ghanaian culture, it's also like imbued into the culture. And I would say that during those times before the age of 15, I did not know like the seriousness of like how, of like what it really means to be a Christian. So then I became a really big, you know, Christian fanatic in a way, um, trying to help everybody get saved. Um, I ended up going to a Christian college, the biggest Christian university in the world, Liberty University. Um, it's where I met my wife, uh, who was also a Christian. So now I'd say since I'm 27 and I turned to, like, I became a real, real Christian at 15. That's like, yeah, 12 years. My journey into Christianity was well, my ENFP best friend was getting really into it. And I'm the type of person that's like, oh, I will love the thing that you love. So I'm like, if you really love going to this house church, then I will also go to. Um, and then I went and I learned a lot from that. We did a lot of specific pa like passages that were really dissected in great detail together. And eventually um, that ended up in me getting baptized around the time where I had a certain type of miracle happen in my life too. So I got my first blood test back around that time and I came out positive for hepatitis C, which is a bloodborne disease and I have no idea how I got it. Because um, you typically get it through some sort of blood transfer like needles or sex and I have not been having sex <laughs> and I, I don't know where I'm getting these needles from. Arby's, don't go to Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> so I was terrified. I was terrified around this time. And so the cure for hepatitis C, it's like $80,000. If like Canadian healthcare is free unless for particular diseases or things then you have to pay. And I was like that is so much money that is more than my student tuition at the moment. I'm going to die in debt was my thought or I'm going to die of disease, you know. So I I went to house church and I had some friends from abroad pray for me and in the house church pay for me. And that was around the time I got baptized. And after a couple of weeks, um, my, my blood test came up clear, like it was negative of hepatitis C. And so that was like quite the miracle, $8,000 saving miracle. <laughs> and so, that was really intense and it was nice to have a community during that time too, to make sense of it all. I was, um, at, I was, my parents went to this new church. We started like a Baptist church, then went to a non-denominational one. And I just believed that it did altar call. And I don't know why I believed, but I just went up and started believing, I guess it's an ENFP thing or, and I have a, I actually have someone in my life who I'm trying to introduce to the Lord. I'm giving him an experiment, which is, um, seek the Lord, and I want you to 
ask God every day, ask him to desire and love the Lord. That's how my faith grew from a very tiny seed, is I would ask God every day for for desire for him and love for him, having hardly anything, having just a very small muster, very small mustard seed, not evangelizing, not anything, just just believing, reading the Bible. It, it was just a, a very small flame. And over the years, uh, as I went through middle school, high school, uh, believing, I started to get more overt in my faith. I would I would put the Bible like on my desk in every class, and then it started to go into a giant fire, an all-consuming fire, where I would, um, you know, street preach in the hallways, just like go and you know challenge my teachers, challenge everyone. And I was going to the principal's office all the time, and it was the mo- it was the most exciting time of my life. And I would I did that for years in my high school and everything, and then suddenly something something just like snapped, and I started to see like miracles and then a little bit more miracles a little bit more miracles and so that my faith was like a snowball that just built and built and built what's your experience with being nf in regard to your faith in in regard to chasing the ideal or getting discouraged by um, the lack of ideal if that's a problem for you or not a problem for you and how you experience kind of that yeah i i find that with nfs sometimes their beliefs in christian christianity can be seen as heretical so especially from the more legalistic communities of Christianity, um, I, I had an ENFP best friend who would say her true beliefs on certain statements, and then people would look like, look at her with wide eyes and go like, you believe that? How could you believe that? When it was just, it was correct in the Bible. It was just a new look at how to read the passages, which people can, there can be a lot of whiplash to these new ways of kind of conceptualizing what God's word is. And so oftentimes I find NFs have a very woo-woo way of interpreting Bible scriptures can that other people can have difficulty understanding. Um, and so for those who are, who are not familiar with the Pygmalion effect, it's essentially the, it's a Greek, um, it's a Greek uh, story of when the sculptor Pygmalion <coughs> created um, this sculpture of the perfect, beautiful woman, uh, or, or his ideal woman. And then he loved on that sculpture as if she were real. And then Aphrodite blessed that sculpture for it to then become real. Um, and that then became known as the Pygmalion effect, which essentially means that the more that you believe in something, the more that you have faith in something, the more real it's gonna become for you. Um, of course, when I was younger, this was not something that I really ascribed to. I just had the faith and that's just what it was. What I do know is that the spiritual realm is real. Um, and the more that I, like Pygmalion, believe and lean into the magic rather than starting to like try to like rationalize certain things, then the more room I have, the more the room, the more room I leave for God to operate in my life in a very mystical way. And off of that point of leaning into magic, so a part of my NF childhood was feeling God's presence before even knowing what that was. So as a kid, it's easier to lean into magic because you're not overthinking things typically. And so you can just feel something very warm that's with you all the time. You don't really know what to do to describe it, but you know that it makes you want to give love to everyone. And that is the presence of God 
and it is shown in innocence. And so oftentimes uh, that's when I felt God the strongest and in the earliest form. And I think there's a certain type of NFs are naturally in tune that there is more like there's a spiritual world definitely behind the materialistic or biological or physical world. It's just a known fact for the NF. Oh, of course the spiritual realm exists. And so in a way we've always known God even before Christianity too. Everyone Christian, non-Christian is, is, is groaning out and screaming out for God in their own way. And, and, and I think that the hunger, the hunger is just so prevalent, I think, and specifically in NFs. I have a friend who's uh, ENFJ, and you can just tell that there's a piece missing in regard to, like, spirituality. It's kind of like NFs without without God or some kind of higher thing. I just kind of, um, there's, yeah, something that they're striving towards. It's it's like there's a piece missing, and there's, like, I think NFs have a have like a hole inside of them. I think everyone to an extent, but with NFs, it's like really glaring. Wow, you're just really like uh, missing out. My INFP friend, she is so she finds God in ritual. She loves it. She is she is very Catholic, and she'll go and she'll say the same prayers, and she'll find God in there. But then for me, it's like I find God in the new. Like I don't get things out of most sermons, but when I listen to J.K. Chesterton. It's very any. It's very new. It's very exhilarating, and I think what um, typology can benefit the church, especially, is um, is emphasizing is emphasizing the natural and the soul and in diagnostics. I think psychology. Uh, there's a lot of counteracting when I bring up MBTI because they're like, you just need the Bible, you just need all these things. But I'm like, this this brings a diagnostic to a degree, and I think Christians can take. Uh, typology and say, is this really, is this really God or is this really just me? ENFPs, like a, a specialty they have is noticing the mainstream way of thinking about a certain thing and then realizing all of the holes through like their extroverted intuition can poke all of like, okay, okay, that part, that part, that part, uh, I need to understand it further or it needs to make more sense. So it's not just like introverted thinking that likes to make things make sense. Like dominant extroverted intuition as this urge and curiosity to learn more. And oftentimes like these big questions aren't answered. And so um, ENFPs will follow these really niche niche speakers. Like they'll go search in the rabbit hole of, okay, Christian speakers and find one that offers these this new way of putting it, which answers the questions that you've been looking to get answered. When you look into type, then you'll be able to find out why, oh, Yes, me and my wife, we are both created in God's image and our identity is found in Christ. However, she is an ISFP. I'm an ENFJ. Rap, even though we're both trying to become like Christ, there's a reason why I have this ability to be able to understand the interpersonal on, an, on a highly nuanced level and be able to interact in that way. Whereas like for her, she doesn't really have as much of that skill, but she has a similar skill in being able to understand her motivations, her values, and her morality and, and emotions in a very highly nuanced level that I definitely cannot do. And so when we come together and we really work on those skills, we really work on those superpowers that God has given us, and then we use those skills to be able to help better the world that God has put us in, 
I don't think that God is mad about that. So if I'm coaching someone and helping them like, hey, you're trying to get to point D, that's great. But you're trying to do it like an ENTJ. You're actually an ESFP. You can keep on trying to do it in a very strong TE way. That's fine. You'll eventually get there, maybe in like 20 years. Or I can show you how to do it from an SEFI way where you'll get the same exact results, but in a more natural way in the way that God created you. And if you don't understand how God created you and the personality that you have, then I think that that's where you're going to run into a lot of trouble because you're either going to become something that you're not and then lose a lot of the gifts that God has given you, or you're going to try to get other people to become something that they're not and then squander and not even appreciate the gifts that they have. Yeah, I think MBTI is very compatible with Christianity. If you look at the book Gifts Differing by Isabel Briggs Mayer, Mayer <laughs> there's a, a passage that the book is inspired by from Romans 12, 6, and it's then having gifts differing from the grace that God has given us. And so what the 16 types helps us realize is the divine design or the divine gifts that each person has. And it gives you a, a framework to put them a little more clearly. So it gives you a clearer mirror to your divine design that God intended you to know more about. And so it's a little bit of a life hack. Everything is to emphasize God's beauty and his work, workmanship over you. And I, I was instructed by God to go to this uh, house group. And then I meet this very quiet introvert, um, Joel. And we start to develop a friendship. We started to get prophecies and hear from God about working together and being called to be friends. What happened was our friendship became extremely toxic. We had to take a four month break from our friendship because it was just the most unbelievably toxic thing I've ever, I've ever experienced. In that four months, I went to and I went on my quest to really understand him, like a like a Swiss watch, and all the all the mechanics of how he works. Last time I talked to him, it was like night and day. He it was it was so amazing how I'm the top people who understands him. It's it's the most beautiful thing in the whole world because I'm able to love with knowledge. His parents wanted him to um, to be a drummer at the church, but right now he's at Google, and it's like amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, what he's able to do uh, with that, because God's given him a tremendous skill that very, very few people have. And if he would have just listened to what Christians are telling him to do, uh, the acceptable thing, he would have never known about it. But he tapped into uh, the greatness God had put inside him. And I feel like we each owe God. We owe God those talents. We owe God to glorify him with our, our talents, including creativity, including whatever. And if we don't use that, we are disglorifying God. A part of the Bible I really like is Ecclesiastes, and what it reminds you of is that all physical things fade away, but what matters oh, no. is maintaining spiritual integrity and integrity of the spirit, because that doesn't fade away, but everything else will. So it humbles you. A lot of people are on physical quests. You know, the American dream is accumulating as much wealth as possible and having a lot of material things, but it all goes away. So what's the point of fighting for something that is going to crumble? So everyone is almost fighting for crumbling towers when 
there are, there's God's tower, which doesn't crumble because it's spiritual. I, I just love the imagery of urgency. <laughs> I'm, I'm attracted to imagery that places the urgency in understanding that the world isn't just material. There's the immaterial beauty. There's a story of a man who was lost at sea. Then he began to pray that God rescue him. A boat came and was like, hey, do you need any help? And he's like, oh, no, 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 it's all good. God's gonna rescue me. Boat's like, oh, all right, moves on forward. This man died and he ends up in heaven and he asks God, what the heck? Why didn't you save me? And God's like, I sent you a lifeboat. Myers-Briggs could very much be that boat. There's this word in the Bible called long suffering, and it's one of the virtues that God talks about. And I think it highlights this important trait where patience is needed too sometimes. Perhaps sometimes a situation can feel hopeless and we might want to control it because we start to go like, oh no, it's not going the way that I wanted it to. So now I'm panicking and now I'm, I'm overthinking and then I'm doubting God or I'm doubting someone or I'm, and then I'm trying to control the situation myself. And that's trying to take God's plan and make it your plan. <laughs> and that can actually cause things to go wrong when they could have been going right. So it's almost like you had a plane going right to the city that it was supposed to go. But then now you're redirecting that plane to this random, random island that no one knows about because out of fear. And so it's, it's important to let things unfold the way that they were meant to be in a certain way too. And it's easy to overreact sometimes because there can be a lot of expectation and a desire for things to go a certain way. Everyone, if you love this content, if you want more uh, philosophy, religion, typology, Christianity type videos, please, you know, uh, donate so I can keep the lights on and, and keep, uh, you know, eating and, uh, and please subscribe and like every single video and comment and do a lot of comments and show the love and support uh, for this content if you love it. So, shalom.